Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Render Time. I'm Richard Lutz, and I'm a Los Angeles-based filmmaker and editor, and it is my goal to connect you with some of the leading creatives in both advertising and commercial production. On this week's episode, I connected with Alex Freakon. Alex is a copywriter at Fallon in Minneapolis. If you are unaware of Fallon, they have been behind some of the biggest ads in the world, including BMW Films, EDS Cat Herders, and many others. During our conversation, we discuss how Alex made the leap from working in film to becoming a rapper, and then how that led him to working at Fallon. We also discuss his most recent film where he went to North Korea to play the North Koreans in hockey. We also discuss the importance of side projects and how it is an opportunity for creatives to cultivate their own voice. But enough of this intro and me talking, let's get into my conversation with Alex Freakon. Freakon, it's been far too long. Oh, it's monkey. Hey, how's my audio right now? It's it's decent. I mean, I'm gonna have to. I'm. This is going into a Zoom, so. Because uh, I'm using. I'm not using my Mac. I'm using my um, my condenser mic. So I'm hoping it's a little better. But if it's not, that's sh- shitty. So. So Alex, why don't you uh, just begin by introducing yourself? Hello, people of the internet. My name is Alex. Um, a lot of people call me Freecon. Um, I sometimes go by Alex Freecon. Um, I am from Minneapolis. I'm a copywriter at an ad agency. And I also make stuff on the side, limited, not limited to, but including super dope hip hop music videos and, um, you know, trips to North Korea as well. That's the How's best that for an intro. <laughs> that was the best introduction I've gotten so far. I mean, that. Re- that rivals people that have been up for Academy <laughs> Awards. Yeah, yep. Some of it is cooler than others. As uh, I've, I've just, I've been dealing a lot with this. So I have a, a just a breadcrumb trail of content from like starting from like you know 2009. And I'm a part of me is like, do I leave it out there as like a historical trail of just you know there's some really <laughs> bad stuff, or do I just wipe it all? It's kind of cool to have, like, you know, the history. It's like a vault for me, it, but some of it is terrible. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, yesterday I hopped on Google and just Googled Alex Freakon. It's like, oh, I got to find yeah. his website and see what's up. You yeah. know, like, how people have, like, the sidebar of who they are? Yeah. You oh, have, my God. You have one of those, like, Alex Freakon, like, you're a prominent person in terms of... Oh, yeah. Prominent, baby. <laughs> Take that, Mom. I told you. <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, how, like... You like your pathway into advertising is interesting. You yes. didn't start out like working at at uh, no, man. Fallon. You like were doing something completely different, weren't you? Yeah, I was. And for everyone listening, I just want you all to know that Lutz and I go. We go back. We have a a very rich history. The last I don't know how long that would be. Four years. It's been four years. Like yeah, it's uh, been a moment. So uh, I'll, it's a long story, but I'll try and condense it. I um graduated college and I wanted to go into I knew I wanted to go into writing of some sort I was focused on screenwriting I wanted to write movies just be a you know screenwriter Um, and through a lot of networking landed a job on the set of a feature that was being shot in Minneapolis which was super convenient and it and it went in production like literally a month after I graduated so I hopped on there met a lot of really interesting people including um, Bob Balaban, who is still like just my hero. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. I'm not. Um, he is best way like you. If you IMDBM, you'll recognize his face immediately. He's one of those guys who's been in a lot of stuff. Are you familiar with the movie Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah. So he is the narrator of that film. Okay. They, they okay. cut to him a bunch. He's kind of the old man. Um, that's like trouncing through the prairie as he like narrates the story but anyway so i met a lot of cool people and um after that movie i moved out to new york to work at some production houses i you know wrote an album i think in new york and then i came back to minneapolis and i launched the album and i started doing shows and then i moved back to new york and i wrote another album and bouncing back and forth 
um, and just I think it was probably in like 2010 or 11 that I really started making the push with music um, in Minneapolis and I was doing a ton of shows and meeting cool people and you know getting plays on the radio here and um, at the same time I remember thinking to myself you know, I'm 25. I'm going to get kicked off of my parents' health insurance pretty soon here. Shout out to Obamacare, by the way. That's, that's <laughs> made me so sad when they tried to get rid of that. They're um, still that, trying, but we're not going to go down the political, like... Yeah, yeah. I just, we could talk about that. role in my creative output, because I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was like, okay, 26 is kind of like an adult cutoff. Or, like, I have to get serious, because what if I get, like, hit by a train or something and I need health care? So I was like, at about 25, I started thinking about what I could do for, for work and get a job. And everyone I talked to was like, you know, you should think about advertising. So I hit the, the pavement pretty hard. It was networking like crazy. Um, and I was trying to do, I was like, you know, if I can spin this music, you know, side of me, maybe some, someone will bite. And I was just showing my music videos to everyone and the logistics of it and, you know, what it's like not only me writing the songs, but like also I'd get to assemble teams, I'd location scout put together budgets, stuff like that. And, and Fallon was like super into that. Um, they were, they were the, they were the one agency that really gravitated towards that and thought that was cool. So, um, they gave me an internship in production. And, um, after that internship, I, uh, was able to kind of weasel my way into a job in media In media. I always talk about that this is not really exciting in terms of creativity but it was cool where I work because they did a lot of like creative media strategy it's just long story short they're like we call it big ideas which is like how can we uh, you know uh, our client at the time it was a network entertainment network uh, TV entity station and they would always have these new shows and be like how can we promote them and would you know um, a lot of my job was like, okay, come up with some cool marketing stunts or like unique marketing ideas, work with the team to brainstorm stuff and, and bring it to life. And I got to do some really cool stuff um, for some TV shows, including Broad City, which was really fun. I don't know if you're familiar with that show at all. It's funny because like when I was at Fallon, it's like I knew you were working on it, but I had no idea what it was. And it's, yeah. I mean, I, the work is great, by the way. And yeah, that stuff was awesome. And about a year ago, Almost a year, yeah, coming up, I, I moved to um, copywriting uh, full-time. So what was that switch like? Because it's like, I know, you, I mean, I know Jeff approached you originally, like, back in 2010 about this sort of stuff, but... Yeah, and that was heavy, and it's just, I, I had never, for what it's worth, dude, like, having, you know, wrote, written two albums and, like, writing being a huge part of my life, I never saw myself as a copywriter, just because I liked, you know, making creative work on my own terms and just the idea of, of doing it full time and like four brands. I don't know. I, I just, it felt like it was a little intimidating. Um, so yeah, when I first, you know, was interning, uh, Jeff was, was pretty open. He's like, Hey man, if you want to give copywriting a, a swing, go for it. And I, I went to media instead, but, um, you know, after a couple years under my belt, it was just, the voice was still there. I was like, you know, this could be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And it might be something that I really excel at, and um, so I just I just dove in. I don't know. I, at one point, I was just like, "Let's do it." I mean, I think the best way to describe my thought process was: I asked myself, "Okay, you know, let's look at Alex twenty years from now. Is he going to be kind of pissed that I didn't try this? You know, that I didn't go down that path?" I was like, "Yeah." I think he would be, especially at an agency like Fallon. Like, you know, it was a great opportunity. So yeah, and and for people who don't know Fallon, I mean, Fallon has been behind some of the biggest ad campaigns in the world. I mean, yeah, BMW Stories, EDS Cat Herders, Loctite Superglue. I mean, yeah, they've done some really cool stuff, and I think there was probably intimidation factor on that level as well. You know, like looking at the history and everyone who's been through there and the work they've done, like those BMW films. I remember those coming out. Um, I like. I remember my brother. He came up to me and he's like, "Dude, we got to watch these videos. I found them online. They're like BMW short films, and we just burned through all of them. They were so cool." And yeah, then, and you know, and those were in the days when like internet speeds were just sucked. Yeah, like, oh yeah. 12- I think it took them like 
two weeks to download them or something like to that. To all you youngins out there, it's like, you don't know how good you have it. I remember the, like, the, the dial-up just doo-doo-doo. Oh, yeah. I remember 30 kilobytes a second was a good download speed on Kazaa back in the day. <laughs> I remember that, dude. You and I know that. We oh, know God. Like, the whole, if net neutrality, like, goes through like they want it to, these kids are going to, like, be like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> I need my Britney Spears or whatever. The, no, I don't the, think it's Britney Spears. Lots. I don't think they're talking about I don't even know what the kids Britney are listening Spears to. I mean. These days. Um, but yeah, net neutrality uh, is crazy, by the way. What I mean, was that? Have, net neutrality is very scary, by the way. Yeah, well, let's not go there. Another subject for another time. Um, so it's been interesting because it's like you've worked on a lot of stuff since uh, – since, uh, Going to the copywriting side, like uh-huh. I know you've been like doing some uh, stuff for Arby's. I mean, uh-huh. Big Ten yeah, Network. Yeah, a lot of brands. And yep. uh, so it sounds like the experience has been pretty positive for you in terms of just the stuff that you've been involved with. Yeah, I will say you know it's always very um, challenging, and I think I underestimated this, which isn't a bad thing because it might have freaked me out a little more ahead of time but it's it's tough to start over and that's essentially what I was doing like I had I had put three years into um, media you know and learned that trade for three years and then I just jumped into a new world essentially Um, but you know the first thing I, I learned in the crash course I got on this was like just to get to one idea you have to burn through so many different other ideas that you think might be good, but the, the truth of the matter is they're just not good enough. Yeah. And I never had a boss in terms of creative work, you know, like I've put out my own projects where I'm my own creative director. So this was the first time I had someone critiquing my own creative work, and that was a totally new experience for me. It's it's a um, mind fuck in a lot of ways, and, <laughs> and I'm not trying to say anything bad about um, the critiques. I mean, that is essential to the work, but it's yeah. like it's... Those, yeah, you know, they're, you know, it's like, whew, they're, they can be brutal, <laughs> especially like, and you know, you can, um, let's a, a great example I have is like, you know, I have to nail one headline, um, for something for Arby's. Well, it's like, I might have to write, you know, 50 to a hundred just to get to that one. Oh, I know. And that's crazy. It's like, you take, you have to, you take one thing that you're supposed to write about. So let's say it's a sandwich. And you have to come up with, you know, a hundred different ways to talk about that one sandwich. It's like, whoa, that's an exercise in its own right that I had never, you know, experienced. It's kind of like with songwriting, I, I imagine, you know, I'd had similar, but nothing to that extent. It's like, okay, one line, I'm going to take a hundred stabs at it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what? Exactly. And I remember I was working on Cruise and Ram. They loved our concept of doing a like a thirteen hour commercial to break the world record. In the process of doing that, they also wanted billboards. And I remember writing something along the lines of like flight delays extend vacations. But in order mm-hmm. to get to that point, like I remember I was in a Google Doc and I was just like writing and writing yep. and writing. It was just yep. like it, it, I'd write the same line like five times, just iterations yeah. of like changing two words. Exactly. Uh, and I mean, you know, imagine doing that. There are some uh, campaigns where I'm still writing. I have to write, you know, multiple um, iterations. So let's say there's like four or five mass emails going out to all of a client's followers. And it's like, okay, four different emails. Though Each of those emails you need, you know, I got to do 50 to 60 options. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're looking at like 300 to 400 lines about one thing. And it's just really, um, it's like doing bicep curls, you know, for 12 hours straight. You know, it's just like by the last curl, you're just like, oh my God, I cannot lift my arm. But it's like, nope. Yeah, you can. And you have to. Yeah. Like 50 more times. It's brutal. Um, so what is uh, some of the work in the last like couple of years that like stands out to you in terms of like, what's the proudest stuff that you've been involved with? Yeah. So, um, Right out of the gates, I got put on a project for um, Big Ten Network. I saw and, that. Yeah, and that was a lot of fun, A, because it was my first project, but also, um, B, because it was really intricate. We had, um, it was for uh, Media Day for, for basketball, and there were, you know, the Big Ten, I think there's like 
12 teams in the Big Ten. Don't, I don't know the exact number, but we basically had to make a spot for each team. And so what start, and we had one day, and we, we could shoot with all of these coaches, these basketball coaches, and we had 10 minutes with each coach. And we were very limited in what we could have them do because, you know, um, you know they're big-time coaches, and there was no complex speaking. We couldn't have any you know dialogue, and we couldn't have any props, and so we just had to come up with ways to capture content that'll like you know translate into twelve different spots. And um, it was really cool. The final product was really awesome, and we worked with some sick art directors who um, Meredith and Leah who put together some sweet visuals. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I I would if that were for like college football, that would be like a dream project for me. But for you, yeah. Oh my god, I would be like, I'd be a very especially if it's the Pac-12 and the opportunity to talk to Mike yep. Leach. But anyways, yeah. Um, I remember coaches are so intimidating. By the way, they're no business. Like th- that was one thing that impressed me. Like they were just they walked in and they just commanded the room. It's like yeah, these guys have to. I mean, if you think about it, yeah, they're, they have to shape these. You know, eighteen young athletes kids. who are probably some are going to go pro, and like there's a lot of pressure, and there's you know millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line in these programs, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, whatever. Um, so it was it was impressive to see these guys, yeah, face to face. And I, I thought, correct me if I'm wrong. I was a, uh, I was looking at somebody else's work uh, when I was previously at the mill, and for those who don't know the mill, the mill is this incredibly awesome visual effects and design studio in LA, New York, Chicago, and London, and they've been at it for a very long time. Did you guys work with the mill on this? Um, no, we did not. I believe we, um, we worked with a local shop. Um, I believe it was Volt okay. we worked with. Okay, yeah. I know Volt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And don't I, quote me on that, because if I got that wrong, that would be embarrassing. Um, I'm just going to cut just, all this out then. <laughs> I forget who it was, but yeah, it was all Minnesota. Yeah. The only thing we did, we traveled to DC for the shoot, um, and their animators were great, and they love this too. And I think that's why they like working with Fallon, because like the projects we give them, they tend to be, you know, the, the create like more intricate, goofy, weird ones for bigger clients. So like they get amped when we ask them, like, hey, can you, you know, animate a panther taking a lick from an ice cream cone from this coach, even yeah. though you. Know, I drawn an ice cream cone here and they're like oh yeah absolutely like can we see, get more weird somehow so. see like i wouldn't even know how to go about doing that like you give me give it to me in the context of like an edit with a camera it's like okay yeah let's make something really fucking weird like mm-hmm. going to the minnesota state fair and trying to do the alphabet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i think like it's i think it's a cool exercise to see like in many times, like I mean, I've worked on commercials all over the place. Like I worked on, I worked on a Bentley commercial in the middle of the Cascade Mountains, which was a train wreck, and there was a ton of people on it from multiple countries, and it was a disaster. But yeah, it's also same. cool to see the opposite of that, where it's a small team with a very focused idea of what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Do great work. Yeah, it, it was it was really awesome, and I mean. It, we were we were um, lucky to have I had really great direction from a uh, another creative who was pretty seasoned and he had worked on a um, in his past life done a lot of TV production so like he knew how to work with talent and he was just um, great from start to finish um, so yeah it's 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 really cool I mean it, there were at times it was hectic but like just when it's all said and done and the end result is good. It, it's just like, all right, that was cool. Um, but the thing that probably I'm the most proud of currently in terms of my work in an agency is like the, the first um, time I saw one of my Arby's ads on national TV. I'm a huge hockey fan, as you have probably gathered. And I was watching the NHL All-Star game when all of a sudden, what do I see come on? Just one of my little, one of my little ads, one of my little TV ads. And uh, I remember just being like, whoa, that's, that's something I wrote. And you know, Ving Rames is reading it on, and it's on national TV in front of the All Star Game. Like this is incredible. Yeah, that uh, was pretty sweet. Moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been in similar circumstances. Like when I was at the mill, like it was really cool seeing work that we touched, and it's the same way with 
picture head and the stuff that we're working on there and finally seeing it hit the air it's, it's really exciting to say like oh yeah I, I saw that days ago in an edit suite and it's now there on tv or online yep. and yeah exactly people are thrilled about the work that is being made yeah so i can only imagine what it's like for some of the writers when they have like a spot in the super bowl or oh you know god a spot in the grammys like that's got to be you know cloud nine and and one thing too for for the i don't think a lot of people maybe they do maybe they don't but like so much work goes into the back end for what ends up maybe being 15 seconds or 30 seconds long it's like crazy. it's incredible it's yep. it's insane because it's like i saw the team at fallon or not fallon uh the mill spend six months building wembley stadium in maya like cool. six months for a yeah. nike spot yep. and they yep. and hours and hours spent in just vfx and this goes yep. for every spot i mean everything from color correction to like building characters for gorillas i mean and it's true of just like and that's just post-production we haven't even touched the cons- yeah, the conceptual exactly. and it's like no totally i i was talking with rainy melendez who's the director at the mill la and he says mm-hmm. how long do you think creatives spend on this stuff i'm like easy six months to a year easy <laughs> i know it's isn't that crazy like and then and then especially in this day and age where you know i think a lot of clients just salivate around this idea of going viral and you see people do it all the time with like an iphone you know and just being in the right time or having the right idea that's why i love reddit so much is because the content that comes out of there is just so goofy and weird and, and the production value sometimes it's magnificent but other times it's just people who have an idea and they go ahead and they execute it um and i i sometimes wonder if if where we are now in terms of like media consumption and and like what kind of content we want to see if the average consumer is willing to um like uh give give a little in terms of the the content quality in if if the message is right and if it resonates well with them like they're not opposed to seeing something shot on an iphone if it's still entertaining for 15 seconds or 30 seconds or however long you know and i completely agree with that a hundred percent because like i'm just gonna throw the name uh casey neistat out there i mean dude yep but like what's interesting and this comes back to like where i'm really interested in is Mm -hmm. in the last several years i mean we i saw this coming when i was like a freshman at washington state Mm -hmm. because like when i was when i first graduated from high school I said to my parents, like, look, I want a Macintosh computer, and I want Final Cut Pro, and I want a yep. camera. Yeah. And for a lot of, of of us millennials, like, that's how we got our start. It's like we mm-hmm. we grabbed a camera, and we grabbed the ability to just, like, start making shit. We were like, all right, we're yep. going to do this. What has been really interesting about that trajectory, along with looking at it through the lens of working in the entertainment industry, is, like, we get so damn focused on, like, we have to have, like, a red Alex, or we, yeah, a red Alex. Right? That's not even the same brand. We have to get have a red Epic, and we have to have Zeiss Master Primes and just the nicest right? gear under the sun. But what's been really, really cool and really interesting is never before in history have we had the ability to create content that is engaging in a way that is impact on a very small scale. Yep. Casey Neistat's totally. one dude in New York, yet I he has seven million example. subscribers. I think that's a perfect example, dude. And and I, um, after my uh, North Korea video, I got put on to someone threw out that name. It was like, you should really look at um, some of the stuff he's done because um, it kind of reminds me of that. And I looked him up and like, I immediately fell in love, especially, and we talked about this briefly, his earlier stuff um, before he was kind of vlogging. I think his early stuff is better. He, yeah, oh, totally. Because he tells, and you said it yourself, like the narrative is there. And, and all he did was he had stories he wanted to tell and he grabbed some equipment and he went out and he banged it out and he threw it out online. And like, it's just kind of like fishing, you know, you throw a bunch of hooks out, maybe you snag one here or there. It's kind of like a numbers game, but he, I was just really impressed by his, the way he's gone about it well, and look what he's turned it into. Absolutely. Like an and he has no fucks about it either. Yeah, like, exactly. He does not give a fuck about uh, about having the nicest gear under the sun like and i yeah i think it's also funny too because i talk to some 
you know, people in the industry about him. And, and a lot of people kind of don't like him. And I think they want to throw shade just because what he did was so counterintuitive. And he, you know, like he didn't go get a graduate degree in, in, in uh, filmmaking or in writing. And he just went out and did stuff like School of Hard Knocks style. Yeah. And I think that confuses a lot of people who are like, okay, no, I have to go to school. I have to get a portfolio. I have to get an internship, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, and I find it very interesting to see people like kind of throw shade at that, or you know, to be uh, cliche to hate throw you know haters gonna hate kind of that thing. Yeah, it's and like, I I think what's really cool about it too is it's it almost like puts a it puts advertising and filmmaking in its place in many ways mm-hmm. because like what Jeff would talk about is it's like you know what at the end of the day we're trying to connect with a mom in Nebraska yeah. she doesn't yep. give a shit about the um, camera we shot on or the lenses we use. She cares about the story. Exactly. And I think what's really cool about this, the current state of storytelling, I mean, you mentioned on your website that you're a storyteller, is the notion that agencies, agency creatives, filmmakers here in L.A., filmmakers in Antarctica, regardless of what they have, be it their iPhone or be it yeah. a um, DSLR or a Red Red Epic or an Aria Alexa have the means to make shit that can connect with another human being. Yep, totally. And and one thing that was funny for me and a great experience is you know sh- you know shooting my own music videos and and connecting with people who could help me do that. Like w- you know we had no budget, we had zero dollars, and we would just to be that scrappy and to shoot something and create something. And then see publications, you know, admittedly small. These things aren't going on national TV, but they're getting picked up by blogs, you know, radio stations, you know, prominent in the community. And and they like that content. It's just like I remember telling myself, like, man, like, I'm like, how can some, you know, how can some people be like, okay, we're going to need at least half a million to do this? It's like oh, that's, that's, that's just right. It's that's so crazy. Bullshit. It's like you don't need. It. I think what happens though is you get to a point where the money becomes available and so then you kind of i don't know if it's a question of like losing your edge but you just you think you need it in order to make that work but you don't you really don't um it helps sure i mean it's great if you have really you know like 10 pas and you got six cameras and you have like a bunch of drones and stuff but like i don't know there's something so exciting and invigorating about like okay i have an idea we have to get scrappy let's go make it well a perfect example that comes to mind, and I know you know this example, is Save That Money by Little Dicky. Yeah, it's, that's beautiful. It's, I mean, he's good. I give him so much credit for that. It was such a smart idea, and it just goes back to the point of we don't need to have big, expensive gear and budgets and riders and trailers in order to make shit. I mean, I, I will live in... Like, there's a... TV show being shot across from my apartment right now. Like, like studio. Yeah. Like the base camp is there. We have there's a ton of trailers yeah. and trucks and <laughs> everything needed to re- require to make great content for people to enjoy. But yep. what's also really exciting about that is we're seeing the antithesis of that happen on YouTube each and every day. Yep. No, totally. Um, it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I worked on a the, the movie I worked on. You know, it was, I want to say, uh, I'm going to throw, I mean, I want to say three three to five million maybe was the budget. Um, and, you know, that's considered an indie movie oh, yeah, budget. That's, that's and it's just indie. like, my, my Lord, there's so much stuff going on here and so many people. Um, and they're making, uh, you know, one 90-minute 90, 90 movie. Um and they have so many assets at their disposal. And it's like, is all of this necessary? Who knows? You know, I'm not going to try and comment on, uh, I, I think a lot, you can do a lot cooler stuff when you have big budgets. But at the same time, like, that would be, if I ever went and talked to, you know, kids or up and comers or people who are interested in getting into the creative field, like, there's no substitute for just going out and doing stuff. Yeah. Making absolutely. as much as possible. And um, I think yeah. to that same end, it's like Liquid Suicide Squad. That was yeah. an expensive student film, it looked like. <laughs> I admittedly have not seen that movie. I, I tried watching part of it, and I turned it off. Yeah, I heard it. And, it and no disrespect brutal. to the filmmakers. I mean, they were 
it's I can't speak to what actually happened in the kitchen, but it did not come out well. Yeah. Um, it's a tough game. Um, but what's really interesting about all this stuff that we're talking about right now is the impacts that it has on advertising because, like, mm-hmm. like your North Korea video was done very scrappy. And yes. It was, and it was edited by a dude at Fallon. And I think it's cool to see that advertising can do these things. There are no excuses these days to make yeah. great work, especially for agencies. Like there yeah, that, is no fucking excuse. That was uh, that whole experience was a huge eye opener for me, just because you know taking a look at the end product and the way people responded to it. It was shot, you know, outside of we uh, a, a shot one, you know, me in front of a white psych, um, and that was on uh, you know a pretty nice camera, as you can tell by the footage. What, what was it? C one hundred or C three hundred? It was a Sony F five. Oh, those are nice cameras. Yeah. 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 And I mean, but, you know, when you think about the role that that footage played in the rest, I mean, it was basically we would cut to that. I kind of wanted to use that as a, a safety net in terms of like, OK, I, I want to talk about X, but I might not have footage to go along with it. Yeah. So we can always just cut to that. Me in front of this white side. The Everything else I shot was on my GoPro or my iPhone 6 Plus, And that was it. I'm surprised um, and, you're not in a prison camp right now, to be yeah, honest with all that. Yeah. And I mean... I, that was uh, that was what prompted. So for, for anyone listening, um, probably like North Korea, what is going on here? And I'm sure you know we can dive into it. But um, the reason I didn't go there under the impression that I I knew I didn't know what story I was going to tell. I knew I wanted to film as much as I could and figure it out when I got back. And what struck me was like how much different than my perception the experience was yeah because i was you know i was definitely uh afraid going over there like i don't care i'm not necessarily i'm not like i wouldn't describe myself as one of those crazy like thrill-seeking risk takers like i value my life and i value you know my personal freedom and not being you know in a cell in some foreign country so especially um, like north korea where they absolutely hate yeah. us. Yep. And uh so when I when I I took a lot of precautions as many as I could and you know I was very um I was on, you know, my best behavior and I was definitely good Alex, nice guy Alex. Um but I was just so struck by uh how different it was than how I expected it to be and the people were just I remember I kept asking like, "Hey, can I film this? Can I film this?" and when you're over there, you're um, with a tour guide. Essentially, they're called a tour guide. You're with them 24-7. Like, you're not allowed to go anywhere on your own. Um, and our tour guides were, like, at first they were very polite about it. Like, yep, you can take photos, ball. And it got to the point where I kept asking, and I almost felt like they were kind of not getting annoyed, but they're like, kind of like, what? You don't need to keep asking me. You're like, yeah, you can film. It's fine. And I just remember being like, man, I totally thought this was going to be a big deal, but you know, I asked, Hey, can I bring my GoPro out in the ice and film the game? And they're like, yeah, sure. Just, you know, if, uh, if you guys are beating, beating us up too bad, just please maybe don't film that. Cause you know, we want to, we want to look good, but they ended up crushing us. So that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Well, uh, you're playing against the men's national team. So I know. And it's, it's just so crazy what I could capture. Yeah. And it's, I think like what's cool about that is it's like, it showed a very different perspective of, just North Korea, like, yeah. it, I mean, I absolutely love the part where you call your parents, like, oh yeah, I've been to North Korea. Just silence, literally that the silence. So I did that phone call. I got back to Beijing, and um, you know, for everyone listening again, I didn't tell. I told two human beings before I went over there, um, someone in in Minnesota, and then a, a good friend of mine who lives out in New York. Um, and I kind of gave them sort of doomsday prepper plans like, okay, here's when you're going to hear from me. Cause when you're over there in North Korea, you have basically, there's no communication to the outside world, like no cell phone service, no Wi-Fi. The hotel we're staying at did have internet and you could send emails, but I think it was like, I'm sure they were read by the government. Oh, totally. And it, like you could, I think it was set up so you could send like, Hey, greetings from Pyongyang. All is well. Goodbye. And it was like some, the charge was so ridiculous. It was like $50 huh. per like like 100 kilobytes or something like it was something so ridiculous. I was like yeah 
I'm not going to be sending any emails. But I got back to Beijing, and that's when I, I called my parents. Um, and the silence on the phone call is very real that you see in that video, and it goes on for a lot longer. I had to cut it down. <laughs> like, there was just silence for probably, like, two whole minutes to the point where I had to ask, like, are you are you guys still there? I had to ask that a couple of times. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. That phone call was crazy. That's that's just insane. Like, it, yeah. I was impressed by it because it was, I mean, it was just cool to see, like, the experience because it's like, I knew you were going to China. I didn't know North Korea was also on the agenda, and I was like. That was the thing. That was the thing. I told everyone I was going to China, um, just omitted, a, which I did. I just admitted a small detail that I was making a pit stop in North Korea. And by small, you mean just massive. <laughs> to play hockey against the North Korean men's national hockey team. Yeah, just just forgot to mention that part. Dude, like like I said in the text message, ballsy it was a great as experience. fuck. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience. Um, it's almost hard to describe. People, When I got back and I... I started telling a few people once I got back, but I didn't want to drop the bomb until I released the video. And, um, you know, the first few people I told, like, I found it difficult. It's difficult to explain. It's very easy for me to, like, talk about it with the kids who went over. You know, there's a bunch of us. There's probably, like, 20 of us, and we all keep in touch. Um, and it's really easy to talk to them about it because they were there. They know what we're talking about. But to everyone else, it's just hard to communicate what it was like and just how um how normal you know it was given the uh all of the all of what i thought it would be you know from reading online and to uh what i actually experienced it was just so breathtaking and i was like i gotta tell this story um and it was nerve-wracking too because um you know <laughs> the big thing that I wanted to talk about was the human piece because you can just YouTube or Google North Korea and there's so much content out there. It takes you about 30 seconds to realize how um, complicated of a place it is and, you know, some of the terrible things that are going on over there. Um, but no one, and, you know, the, the footage you see, it's like CNN or, you know, Sky News. They're going over there and talking about the government and I can't, you know, I'm not qualified to speak yeah. to that level. Um, I just wanted to talk about, okay, what would a, what would a normal human being want to know about the country? Are there cars? Are there, are there cell phones? Yes. I saw, I was on the subway and I saw a young woman playing at what appeared to be like some weird candy crush slash Tetris. She was on her cell phone, just playing it on the subway. And I was like, this to me is really interesting. Like they play games on their cell phones in Pyongyang. Like I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, so stuff like that, just everyday things that I thought people would be interested in, in learning about um, the people and the culture and stuff like that. So you come back to the U.S., you make the video, you work with uh, the team at Fallon to bring it to life. And what was the response like at Fallon as, as the piece of content yeah, like, so, unrolled? Like, were people like, what the fuck? So it's, it's, it's worth pointing out that I didn't even tell Fallon. I, you know, I, I, I told no one. So... When I got back, I hooked up um, the person who edited it. Um, is a his name's Colin Goodspeed. Um, That's a great and, name, and, by the way. Yeah, I call him Stanley. Good old Stanley Goodspeed. <laughs> um, I approached him before I left, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm going on this trip to China. I'm going to be filming some stuff. When I get back, do you want to work with me to put together a little video?" And he was like a little apprehensive, but he's like, "Yeah, you know." We can we can work some out, and then I came back, and obviously I told him, "Hey man, like there was a slight twist to my trip. Here's what I did," and he was just like, "Oh my god, like let's get started right now." So he and if I, if I were still in Minneapolis, I'd be like giddy as fuck, but you'd have a hard time keeping <laughs> my mouth shut. I'd be like, "Dude, you did a really good job about that." So we kept it totally under wraps. You know, this was just a, this was our side project. Um, and then we, when we had it all done, I actually set up a kind of like, um, presentation for the agency and it was just under the, you know, the guise of like, Hey, I went to, um, China and, um, you know, my parents aren't talking to me right now. Come find out why that is. Um, and then, so I, you know, the whole agency is in the lobby and I'm telling this story. I make these like goofy, like 10 setup slides where I'm just talking. I have some pictures of me in Beijing and blah, blah, blah. 
And then I'm like, oh, by the way, I didn't just go to China. And I clicked onto the next slide, and it's a picture of me standing in front of these two iconic statues in Pyongyang. I was like, I went to North Korea specifically to play hockey against the North Korean national hockey team. And I clicked the next slide, and it was a picture of me with the entire North Korean national hockey team. And everyone was just... I think, and I I talked to them afterwards, a lot of them were just so confused. They thought I had, like, photoshopped it and that this was some weird joke. And I didn't explain anything more. Well, coming from you, I could see that being a joke. Exactly. Exactly. And then I just hit click play on the video, and we went through it all. And it took the whole, like, you know, whatever it was, 10, 12 minutes for it to sink in on people. And they were just, like, their jaws were just, like, a lot of them were so confused, the looks on their faces. And then... Um, we, I did a little Q&A and that's when they were like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. This is amazing. Uh, and they had some really cool questions. And that part was fun to me because I like, you know, I like answering questions. I like talking about the trip. And um, yeah, it, there was, and then I launched online and then it just kind of took off. Yeah. I mean, it um, seemed the sports network in Canada talked about it. I mean, it was everywhere. That was sweet. Um, TSN, I was a huge fan. That's basically Canada's ESPN, and they're huge in the hockey realm. Um, so when they picked it up, that was awesome. Um, the International Hockey Foundation, I think, I don't know if it's foundation or federation, they picked it up and posted it online. Um, I was getting you know, emails from random radio stations in Canada. That's hilarious. Emails from you know, news publications in Germany. Um it, it just took off. Yeah, it was crazy. It was the, cool to see that kind of reaction to it. The person I'm really wondering, who, I'm really wondering what uh, Fallon's uh, hockey aficionado, John King, thought of it. Yep, that was, uh, that was a, it, an interesting exchange, too, because I remember I got off the plane. I, got, I landed in D.C. Um, from Beijing. And uh, he was one of the first people I texted. And I was like, hey, man, listen. I, I had alluded it to him earlier. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do something pretty cool. I have a cool story cooking about hockey. I want to talk about it when I get back. And I texted it to him when I got back. And his first response was interesting. He just goes, interesting. Would need to know more. <laughs> and I was just like, huh, I did not see that kind of reaction coming. So John's in New York now? Uh, yeah, he's he's in New York running the uh, Fallon New York office. Is that where Jeff is too? No, Jeff's still in Minneapolis. Oh no way, good for him. Yeah, yeah, and um, that was one thing. So this kind of touches upon my hesitation with the video. It's just like there's a lot of really negative. It's a hot button issue and a hot button topic, and I was really hesitant to kind of force myself into this conversation. I didn't want it to steer into conversation talking about. The government because again anyone with a computer and google you know can figure out what is going on over there in terms of their government and how their government operates Mm -hmm. and i was afraid that people were gonna just see this as like oh you know you went over there as a tourist you know why are you trying to talk about the government like and it's just like no listen i know i was over there as a tourist um i know the government does some very sketchy things I wanted to talk about the people. Um, that was the story I wanted to tell. And um, a lot of the reaction, like if you look at the comments in that video, it gets you know pretty heated. Um, and then things went real sour, like right after I got back, about two or three weeks later after I got back, things just got more and just spiraled out of control over there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it's been nuts over there right now. Yeah. So it was just... It was trying to balance that and trying to, you know, because one thing I learned is people will take, you know, they'll they'll watch something that they'll digest it and, and they might interpret it in their own personal way that you didn't intend. Um, and they'll run with that and they'll run with that interpretation. And that was very interesting to see. So how has like the North Korean piece and like your rap music videos, like it seems... Like, what's been cool about, like, the stuff that you did, and it's like, I was looking at your website last mm-hmm. night at work, um, it seems like all these experiences, be it the music videos, the North Korea project, and even your music has influenced the work that you're doing at Fallon. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question, and I think, and this, this will circle back to 
um, the the brief statement I made about why it's so important to just make content. Um, and I would hope that any creative would agree, the more often you create things, the more refined you will make, uh, the, the more refined your voice will be. And I think that is any creative's greatest asset. I think that's their currency, that's their gold standard, um, is their point of view on things. And so, you know, with all of my music, with all of my, you know, projects, I think it's pushed me in the general direction of, okay, you know, what's my point of view on things? What's my tone? Um, what's my attitude like? Uh, so it's all been helpful in shaping that. And because um, life at the end of the day, I mean, storytelling, and I, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that I, you know, on, on my website, I like to describe myself as a storyteller because that's at the end of the day, that's what I'm most passionate about. And I think, you know, I, I've come up with this line, like, I think whatever you do above all else, you know, tell a good story. If you can tell a good story, um, whether that's, you know, on a rooftop at a bar somewhere, if that's on a Snapchat story, if you can tell a good story, people will gravitate towards it. I think people, that's the, the core of entertainment. People like storytelling. Absolutely. That's the heart of creativity for, you know, thousands of years. Yeah. It's just telling a, a story. So. And with that, I mean, like, given your perspective, I mean, how is it shaping your outlook on advertising and where advertising is headed? I mean, I think we're living in an interesting time. Like, we've talked about, like, how content and the ability to make content has never been more prevalent. And I'm curious about how these experiences have ultimately shaped your approach to making ads for brands like Arby's and the Big Ten Network. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it exists on like kind of a subconscious level because I never find myself writing and then thinking, okay, how does this relate to, you know, how does this brand relate to a music video I've done or, you know, my North Korea trip or some new project I'm working on? I think it's more so like um, uh, any project, any brief I get and anything I write is anchored on some sort of insight and my most successful songs or projects you've been able to I've been able to describe them in like two or three sentences like an elevator pitch some universal truth that I can keep returning to um, so I think these projects have influenced me in the sense that they've just given me more confidence and like okay here's the elevator pitch of what I'm trying to do I'm trying to communicate X you know, how can I do it in an Alex way? Um, and so what's the, the biggest learning experience for me as a creative has been, you know, trying to find that balance between, you know, um, what a brand needs to communicate and doing so, communicating that thing in my own voice. And Jeff Kling said a really um, awesome statement, which is, and I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially was like, you know, the most successful brands hire um, creatives to uh, not speak as them, but kind of speak for them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a good brand has a voice that's a human being that's just speaking for the brand, but there's a, there's a human being behind that voice with all sorts of experiences, all sorts of trips, you know, you know, whether it's in the country, outside of the country, like a million little stories exist in that one brand's voice. Um, and they just kind of have a way of bubbling through. I don't know. It's it's very abstract, and I don't know if this answer is good or bad. It's probably bad. I'm trying. It's a great question. I just think it it exists on such an intangible level. Um, it just it's something that just happens. I don't know. Absolutely, uh, and I think like what's cool about advertising and like people, they love to hate advertising. It's not a. I don't think that's up for debate. Like people loathe what we do. I mean but they do point at their favorite ads because there is a s source of insight there to a human truth. Yeah, they, in, in, in an ideal world, and, I, and I, like, let's be honest, there are, I think the biggest problem with advertising is like 99% of all ads don't have that, and it, it's only because the, the brands don't necessarily care. They have a message, they wanna get it out, they wanna be done with it. Um, so it, it's just, it's cool when you get to work with brands who do care about the quality of the message and they, they want it to be a unique voice. And, but I mean, the majority of ads are not entertaining. 
um, I think you and I can both agree. I think everyone listening can agree. So, well, I, I always find it refreshing to see, like one of my favorite things about working in post production throughout my experience and working on set is just seeing the excitement that people have towards bringing a piece of work to life. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was cool about like I mean, throughout my experience working on set. Working in production, or working in post production, and working in in and around concept is there's an excitement and energy about the thing that we're trying to make, and we hope that it touches another individual, and that's the hardest part at the end of the day. Yes, yep, and that's you know what you just said. That's why I got into music in the first place. Um, I was always a fan of. I've been impacted on an like emotional level by works of art, specifically music. And I remember telling myself, if I can make someone feel something with my music, I will be so happy. Um, because that's such a powerful thing. And, um, I've been fortunate enough along the way to, and I I bring this up from time to time when you're an independent artist or creator, like there's not a lot of actual currency that's being exchanged. But one thing you do get and you come to appreciate and value it is when people reach out to you and they tell you how your work has affected them absolutely and how they've enjoyed it like that's currency in itself and there have been times when you know i was more focused on music and that was my trying to be my source of income and you know times were very tough and someone would reach out i once had this great youtube comment on a video i did and um you know it's not anything i'm particularly proud of in terms of production but the song was it was during my uh when i was doing my free con friday thing i was doing a new song Dude, and video every those. week yep God, um, i got to get back to minneapolis <laughs> right um i did this one video and maybe like 2 years ago this kid wrote on it and he's like hey man uh i just want to let you know um i first came across this song when i was 14 years old and i listened to it every day on the way to uh, on the bus to school and I'm 17 now, and I just wanted to come here and tell you that this has been awesome, and I hope you're doing big things, and thank you for making this song. And I was just like, I, I took a screenshot of that, and a part of me wants to just blow it up and print it and put it on, like, above my desk because, I mean, that is probably the the most, um, the best reason, not the only reason, but one of the most fulfilling reasons to create and to make things. No, I, I totally feel you because like I've had those experiences on a similar level where I right and it's it's especially like when you make something and you think it sucks it's good to get those little notes like affirming that you've totally. touched somebody Dude, I think like just you and I probably the same I think most creatives suffer from this just like being so critical that we think like 90% of the stuff we make is garbage um, and it's just so easy to get down on yourself uh, in terms of the content you're making. And then just to hear people kind of be like, you know, you and I, when we make something, we have an idea of what we want, how we want people to uh, perceive it and the message we want to get across. And like when you hear people affirm that, it's just like, oh, thank God, I'm not crazy. Like people do understand kind of what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, it's tough. Like being an artist totally. is not easy. I mean, it's it's tough. Right. It it can be tough financially, and it it's draining emotionally because it's like the amount of time and energy that we put towards something is insane. Like, well, while the non-creative class has their nine to five, and they don't, I mean, they give a shit about stuff, but they totally. I think there's a certain they want to punch in, punch out. They don't worry about it. They don't need to worry about it once they leave the office. Versus creative work. You have to worry about it because, in a sense, it's kind of a part of you, your person, your personality, your mantra, your credo. So you're always thinking about it and you're always worrying about it. Yeah. I remember when I was at Fallon, I uh, I, I felt like people were running laps on me conceptually. And this has been a common trend that I've learned over the last couple of years of just working uh, imposed in throughout the business. I think I'm my best when I can work with other creatives who might already have the idea partially there and I can just pick it, the ball up and totally finish it. Which is a huge asset. And that's why I liked doing that. And that's why I encourage you to just never stop making stuff. You have a real knack for just getting stuff done um, and taking a vision and executing it and, you know, bringing it to life. And that's such a valuable thing because a lot of creatives get stuck 
with the concept and maybe they, you know, in terms of passion projects, I've seen, and I've done this myself where I've had ideas, I just never executed them. Yeah. Because I just, you know, it's overwhelming and. Well, it's just to, hard because it's like the amount of time, like I've had so many, like I, the, it's so, and I was talking with a friend a, a couple of weeks or two weeks ago about this shit. And it's like, it's so easy to get caught up in our own head about like, oh yeah, this is going to be so much fucking work to do and I don't even know if I want to start I just want to continue yep. to dream about it but at some point we just gotta like make the damn Dude. thing and it's exactly like it's so funny like I've been toying with the concept of making a music video for Saba Monday uh-huh. to Monday and it's just like I laid it out like a lyric video I'm like Jesus Christ this is gonna take <laughs> so much fucking time to do um, so one thing I'm trying to do is uh, there's this I, I met with this um Creative who uh, makes he writes uh, storybooks, children's storybooks, um, and he's been quite successful. And, and that was his passion project. He picked up on the side of you know working a um, you know very busy creative job. But what he adopted was this idea of the year of doing, where every day he would um, every day he would commit at the very least fifteen minutes to his project, um, and. I have been trying to adopt that and it's been very helpful in the sense that like it kind of um, relieves the stress. If you can commit 15 minutes is really not that much time and I think it's easy for a human being to be like, okay, even if I've had a really long day and I come home from work and I'm kind of pissed off or I'm kind of stressed, like I can take out my phone and I can say, Siri, set a timer for 15 minutes and I can just jam on this project. And once that timer goes off, I can be done and I can go and just binge Netflix or something. Um, but what I found is, you know, I'll do that. And then after 15 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm making some progress. Let's keep going. Yeah. And it's funny because Todd Riddle, I don't know if you remember him. He, uh, he was one of the ECDs right when we got to Fallon. He talked about the same thing about like taking five minutes, even five minutes. Yeah, That's totally. not much time. Just to like write some ideas down. Because it's no, the, it's the act you. of starting that moves the needle for us. Totally, I think um, the most you know the the most difficult part of any project is is the first few feet and gaining any sort of momentum, and that's what the like this year of doing has been helpful for me. That's awesome. Uh, and fifteen minutes is when it, there are times where it's really tough and the timer goes off and I'm like that's it I'm done I I just can't do it. But um, well, especially given the pressures that we're living in, like. Yeah, I think it's hard because it's like the it's hard to balance the our professional life with what we want to be doing realistically yeah. and finding those creative outlets for ourselves and not for to make money off of. That's the struggle. That is I think every that is the universal truth of any anyone working in a creative field. Um and that's why the, and I said this to you um on Facebook chat um, the other night, which is like, that's why when people see stuff like this, you know, you're throwing out this, um, podcast, it inspires them because they see someone, uh, committed and dedicated towards it. And they're like, Hey, okay, I'm not alone. If, if, if Richard can do it, maybe I can do it too. Um, and I'm, I'm the same way. I, if, when I see people who are committing to, you know, their passion projects and they're constantly releasing stuff, it invigorates me in a sense. Um, cause I'm like, okay, I don't need to give up. Um, there are other people who are trying like it, it just makes you feel like it's a group effort one thing that I've always taken joy out of with my passion projects is like it's it there's nothing more invigorating it helps you tap back into that vein of reminding you why you got into it in the first place oh, absolutely and it's it can it can be such a energizer especially when you're on something on a project that's you know it's beating you down and I get I get smacked around all of the time um, and if I come home late and I, even if I just take my 15 minutes and I tap into something that I'm working on on the side, it's just like, okay, yeah, this is, this is why I do this it's yeah. because it, it, I, it helps refine my skills and storytelling. And there's just, it's, it's kind of just like the waves are always kind of battering against you. But, um, once you get out there and you get beyond, you know, the crushing waves and you're just chilling the ocean and you got a sweet view and it everything makes sense um it's a great feeling but i just anyone listening like 
should take solace in what they create and should continue to create, even when it feels like you have no juice left to just find five minutes, 10 minutes and work on something. And, and I think you'll be surprised. Anyone will be surprised how, how quickly you can find yourself getting back into the groove of things. And I agree with that completely. Um, there's two projects in my mind, one of which is not done. One of them is I did this project for uh, the Wenatchee 4th of July celebration. I was approached to do a video about it, and it was pro bono, but I, I, mm-hmm. I said to them, like, look, if I'm going to do it pro bono, I'm doing it how I want to do it, and that's non-negotiable. Yep. We can maybe talk about a review, but yeah. it's yep. non-negotiable about how I cut something if I'm doing it for free. And yep. I really wanted to channel the uh, Cosmopolitan ad that was made four years ago by Fallon and mm-hmm. Gentleman Scholar. And it's funny because I showed it to a executive producer at an editorial house down here in LA, and he's like, that's your best work right there. Do, <laughs> do awesome. more of that. I was like, yep. I immediately put it like the first thing on my website. But totally. that and then like this Sri Lanka thing that I, as I'm as we're talking, I literally get a text about. I need to send... I need to get it finished, but it's interesting because it's like, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. But then when we get into the rhythm of things, we're like, oh fuck, I actually love this. Yeah. It's very similar, honestly, to, to working out. I found like a lot. Yeah, exactly. Everybody does. But I found that, you know, if you actually, it's a lot of it is just getting to the gym. So let's use that as an analogy. Like the 15 minutes is just meant for me, you know, metaphorically to get to the gym because once I'm there it's like all right I'm already here I might as well just hop on the treadmill or do like you know 15 20 and that's something I do with my workout regimen too I just try to commit it to like okay I'm in 30 minutes I'm out of here even if I literally sit on my phone and I sit on a bench for 30 minutes I'm spending 30 minutes here and then I'm done Absolutely. And it just helps the brain like rationalize it. It doesn't make it such this, you know, because it's like, oh, going to the gym, I got to lose, you know, 80 pounds or I have to get shredded. It's like, no, 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 don't think about the massive mountain end goal. Just think about what you have to get done right now. And maybe that's just 15 minutes. And maybe tomorrow you're going to be so amped that you'll do 20 minutes and then 25 minutes and then an hour. It's just Absolutely. a game of momentum. Um, but I hear you, dude. And uh, that's what I love about Casey Neistat is like, he just does he, the fucking he, work. Yeah, and he created a voice, and he he was able to successfully. The reason brands trust him now is that he has a track record. Like he's made all this stuff on his own, his own voice, his own vision that took off. And so now brands can look at him and be like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. And I think that's the end goal for any creative who is thinking about you know doing their own work or creating their own projects is like, if they're successful, you can point to them and be like, hey. You know, this was what I wanted to do. This is the story I wanted to tell. I told it. Uh, people seem to like it. What do you think of it? And they'll be like, oh, I really like this. Can you do this again? And, you know, here's some money. <laughs> it's Absolutely. like, okay, cool. A career has been born. <laughs> it, it, it's If only it were that easy at times. Yeah, right, uh, it's, right. no, it's, I think it's, it's just crime. rinse. I think it's just create, share, sustain, repeat. It's a, That's the formula, really. I have a great quote. So when I was um, finishing up school, uh, I took a bunch of towards the twilight years of my college um, experience, I took a bunch of creative writing courses. And I took this one creative nonfiction class over the summer. I stayed in Madison, uh, worked, and then I took this one class and I just fully dove into it. And it was such a great experience. And I kind of connected with the professor. And before I graduated, I you know met with him. I was like, hey man, listen, um, would you be down to write a letter of recommendation for me in t- case I want to you know go get my MFA or something like that? And we just started talking about you know, creative work. And he, um, was like, he told me this very point blank. He was like, Alex, um, don't ever become a writer unless you absolutely have to. And I was like, I said, pause. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, if there's nothing else in this world that you can do, become a writer. If, if you can do anything else in the world, do that and make money doing it. But, um, only become a writer if there's nothing else you can do. And at first I was like, that's really negative and jaded and bitter. But what I'm starting to realize is what he meant is like, I think the the, the best artists and creators out there, um, it, it may not be that dramatic, but they keep coming back to that well. And the reason is it's because it's their that's their true calling. 
Um, and I found that like, you know, I've explored a bunch of different careers. You know, I've worked in marketing, social media, worked in media. But over the years, I've kept coming back to this idea like I have to make stuff. I just I don't know how to describe it. I have to tell stories. It's what makes me the most excited about life. Um, and so I've kind of I'm starting to be like, I get what you were saying, Professor. You're basically saying like you just need to come to terms with the fact that like this is what you're put here to do. You love doing it. Um, it's very hard, but you know, maybe you can't do anything else because if you do try doing something else and you try to do that nine to five where you're punching in and you're punching out, you will just, your soul will speak, just start deteriorating and you'll slowly go crazy. Um, and I've experienced that on some levels and it's like, it's just, I've naturally come to this place where I'm like, okay, um, it gets tough, but I'm here for a reason. So let's keep doing it. Absolutely. Final thoughts. I mean, if you could give, uh, a aspiring creative advice, what would that be? Um, yeah, I will just reiterate what we've been talking about and kind of what I said at the beginning, which is like, just create as much as possible. Um, figure out what stories you want to tell, what's important to you, what inspires you, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, and talk about those things. Frame them in new ways, um, but just make as much as possible. And I, I am most inspired by those who um, take the time to pursue things outside of work, like who have so much passion that it just like explodes from them. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of uh, creatives who are completely um, 100% content on just writing ads. And um, I think that is a good thing if, you, if that's what you want to do, if you want to write ads. Um, but I, uh, I, I struggle with that a little bit because at, at the end of the day, I think um, everyone, or not everyone, but the best, the best creatives are, are the ones who uh, are the best at telling their stories and are the best at adapting that to brands, like in terms of advertising. Um, and I think that always comes back to just cultivating your voice and the best way to cultivate your voice is to create as much as possible. Absolutely. And, on that, and also stay in school and don't do drugs and, you know, go out and vote and stuff. All the, all the civil, <laughs> civic stuff. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Render Time. Big thanks to Alex for coming on the show. It was fantastic to connect with you. And let's not wait another four years to make it happen. Let's... Uh, Stay in touch, man. If you are enjoying Runner Time, I would really appreciate it if you left a rating and review on iTunes. That would help other people discover and find this show and use it as a resource on their own creative journeys. You can also find me, Richard, all over the internet. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Leave comments there. I would love to connect with you and learn more about the projects that you are involved with. That about wraps things up. But as always, create, share, and sustain the life that you want. Get out there and make some awesome work. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks.